Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. On February 23rd, 2023, the United States government unsealed an indictment of top leaders of the MS-13 gang. The charges include racketeering conspiracy, conspiracy to provide or conceal material support to terrorists, and narco-terrorism conspiracy. Several of these leaders are in custody in El Salvador, but the ostensibly tough-on-crime president, Nayib Bukele, refuses to extradite them, going as far as to fire the attorney general who said he'd approve U.S. extradition requests. Instead, he released video of his new mega-prison, which was cheered by MAGA supporters in the United States. Why does President Bukele crack down on the rank-and-file gang members while continuing to protect the leadership? We'll do our best to answer that question and many others in this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you. On March 1st, 2023, Gavin Wax and Nathan Berger, the president and vice president of the New York Young Republican Club, wrote an op-ed in Newsweek called, We Need an American Bukele. In the article, they argue that the current crime situation in the United States is dire enough to require the kind of draconian measures instituted by El Salvador's President Nayib Bukele to deal with the country's persistent organized crime and gang issues. What steps has Bukele taken, and why do these people think that any of this is remotely necessary or achievable in this country? Well, he has he's managed to get enough members of Congress to get on board with him suspending the Constitution, holding people without trial. Bukele has himself admitted that they have done these really massive sweeps of supposed gang members, but he has admitted that they have picked up some people who are innocent, who should not have been picked up. And I, there's been some reporting of this, of family members. Um, there was something in The New Yorker, a mom whose whose son is autistic, and he got picked up, and it does sound like he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time and and perhaps was confused or didn't understand what was going on or or just didn't understand the circumstances it, it it's going to happen they're they've admitted it's happening bukele has said it's 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 only 1% of cases which is a number that he's not given any evidence for and honestly he he can't even know himself yeah they're not actually putting anybody on, on trial. trial the rule of law has been suspended how do you know it's 1% yeah it could be 5 could be 10 could be 50 uh, who knows and Yes, it has resulted in less crime, less murders, and a greater feeling of safety in El Salvador. And I understand completely if you are just a normal person going about your day, you don't want to worry about your child getting shot by a stray bullet on the way to school. Like, I, I get it. It's terrifying. There must be a lot of people who've been down there living in fear. And mm -hmm. by all means, we hope that that doesn't come back. No one, no one should have to live that way. No. And for the last hundred years, plus, I mean, the, almost the entire history of that country, it's been uprisings, it's been coups, it's been revolts all throughout the 20th century. And the country has been almost continuously ruled by one military dictatorship after another. They had a civil war between left-wing rebels and the ruling junta that lasted from 80 to 92. And it's estimated that the government forces killed over 80,000 people during that, with about half those people being civilians. The United States actually supplied a lot of the weapons, vehicles, and training because we were fighting communism in Central America as we did back then. And after the war, they negotiated a settlement between the rebels and the junta and made a lot of promises to a lot of people about, hey, we'll give you land, we'll get you integrated back into society that didn't really happen. A lot of that fell apart. Of course, leadership that took over turned to be just as corrupt. Both parties were very corrupt. One president after another stole from the country. And then the next thing you know, the people are ready to elect a bukele. 
they're ready to put a guy like this in power and make that bargain of forget civil rights. We are done with that. We want to live in peace and we don't really care how we get there. Yeah. And historically, it's not surprising. It happens quite a bit. It's understandable. Apparently, and I, I don't have any reason to doubt this, and maybe they're juicing the stats a little bit, but based on recent approval rating studies and, and polls that they've put out, he's he's sitting around the 80% in, in El Salvador, and I'm I'm not surprised if you're constantly living in fear and then suddenly you're not. Mm -hmm. I understand why you would you would approve of the job the president is doing, but there are a lot of corrupt backroom deals that went on here that are laid out in the EDNY indictment, and it's a temporary piece at a very high cost. Right. The way these sort of things go is you, you give up a little freedom, and a lot of times you have to pay that back later and in greater increments. The interest rate, to a certain extent, is quite high. And Bukele has been negotiating with the gangs really since he came to power in 2019. And again, this is all from the indictment. Let's take a look at the indictment and dig into some of the specifics here. Okay, so earlier today in federal court, a four-count indictment was unsealed, charging 13 of the highest-ranking MS-13 leaders in the world with directing the transnational criminal organization's criminal activities in the United States, El Salvador, Mexico, and elsewhere over the past two decades. Specifically, the defendants are charged with racketeering conspiracy, conspiracy to provide or conceal material support to terrorists, and narco-terrorism conspiracy. Four of the defendants are also charged with alien smuggling conspiracy, which resulted in death. Now, these guys have been officially charged, and they have been trying to get these guys extradited to the United States for quite some time, correct? Yeah, some of the leaders. There's some who are still in El Salvador. There's some who are in Mexico. There's some who came to the U.S. who they were able to pick up. So there's there were 13 leaders that were charged, but at least as of right now, as of the indictment, there were four of these 13 leaders that are still in El Salvador. Whereabouts unknown. It's not entirely clear if some of them are locked up and if they are locked up where. But in any case the government of El Salvador is refusing to extradite them because, well, Bukele fired the attorney general who said he would, and the new guy won't do it. And again, it's it's pretty remarkable that this indictment, it comes out, and the government, the the head of the prisons, the ministers, anybody in El Salvador, they're just not commenting. They're just not... They're, not even mentioning it yeah, at just all. Not even mentioning it. They just began this smoke and mirrors PR campaign with the help of these Republican fixers, these lobbyists, and then the, the very online MAGA contingent who, as we've talked about, have primed their audience to really love this dictator porn that they're putting out there. But if you look at the indictment, the EDNY indictment itself, you get into page 18 and 19 when it really gets into what Bukele's government specifically is doing here because the indictment talks about the history of El Salvador, the history of the gangs, even this cooperation with the government. It didn't begin with Bukele. It's it's been a bad situation for a while, and and maybe he's addressing it differently, but he's still negotiating with them. He's still making deals. He's still giving them things that they want. So I'll read this. It's page eighteen of the EDNY indictment. It says, following the February 2019 El Salvador presidential election, and that's the election where Bukele won, continuing the, to read here, the MS-13 leaders, including Ramfla Nacional leaders, uh, list their names, secretly met numerous times with representatives of the government of El Salvador inside two prisons and elsewhere. These meetings were arranged by the El Salvadoran government and prison officials, including but not limited to the director of national prisons and the director of the social fabric reconstruction. The government representatives secretly attended these meetings at the prisons, often 
wore masks and refused to identify themselves when entering the prisons in violation of prison rules. MS-13 leaders from outside prison also attended these meetings inside the prison. These MS-13 leaders also wore masks and long sleeve shirts to hide their tattoos and identities, were provided with official identification cards identifying them as intelligence or law enforcement officials, and were escorted by El Salvadoran prison officials. Prison officials also facilitated the temporary transfers of MS-13 leaders to civilian hospitals for treatment of non-existent medical conditions, which enabled those leaders to communicate with various gang members and facilitated the negotiations. Uh, Going down to page 19, talking about some of the stipulations here. As part of these secret negotiations, the Ranfla Nacional, Ranfla in Las Calles, and Ranfla in Los Penales negotiated with the high government officials for financial benefits, control of territory, less restrictive prison conditions that would enable the Ranfla Nacional, Ranfla in Los Penales, and other MS-13 leaders greater communication to maintain control over MS-13. They also asked for legislative and judicial changes, including without limitation reduced prison sentences that would result in the early release of MS-13 leaders from prison. Further, they demanded that the government of El Salvador refuse to extradite MS-13 leaders uh, to the United States for prosecution. In exchange, the MS-13 leaders agreed to reduce the number of public murders in El Salvador, which politically benefited the government of El Salvador by creating the perception that the government was reducing the murder rate. When in fact, MS-13 leaders continued to authorize murders where the victims' bodies were buried or otherwise hidden. The MS-13 leaders also agreed to use MS-13's political influence to direct MS-13 members, friends, and relatives of members and residents of neighborhoods under MS-13 control to support Nuevas Ideas, which is Bukele's political party, candidates in the 2021 elections for El Salvador's Legislative Assembly. So, basically, they cut a deal with these guys to make their lives in prison as easy as possible, give them access to their lieutenants so they could give orders out there on the street. They could make sure that they were still able to run things and essentially allow them to do what they'd been doing for a mostly cosmetic drop in the murder rate and a electioneering campaign. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go down to, this is page 19.38. You really ought to read this whole indictment, folks. It's it's something else. This is really some some pretty fascinating stuff here. Yeah, I I really I honestly feel like we could, and it wouldn't even make for that bad of a show. It's just, it's it's fascinating stuff. But yeah, we get down to the consequence of this and point thirty eight. Following the February twenty twenty one elections in El Salvador. The Nuevas Ideas, again, Bukele's political party, and its political allies won a supermajority in El Salvador's Legislative Assembly. On May 1st, 2021, the Nuevas Ideas-controlled Legislative Assembly took office, and that same day, it removed the El Salvador Attorney General and five members of the El Salvador Supreme Court. So, they got their supermajority, They removed the attorney general who was going to extradite these MS-13 leaders to the United States. And they removed five members of the Supreme Court so that they could suspend the Constitution. So, yeah, this is essentially a, a coup with this guy who thinks he's a really cool dictator and the leaders of the most violent gang in Central America. Right. And, like, going back through some of those Alfaro articles, you realize that, like, he's done this bit at least three times now, where he lines up the criminals in small spaces and shaves all of their heads and puts them in this, like, sort of visual. He's found a visual that really, really works for him in terms of being able to just hack the media narrative on it. And I think it's worth pointing out that the guy's an advertising 
person. He has a background in publicity and advertising. So he's really, really good at being able to speak to people and make them buy what he's selling. He's, he's a very good salesman. Again, this is very, this is where the Trump parallels come in for me. Like Donald Trump bullshat everyone in this world, basically, into thinking he was some kind of success. We all know now that that was a bunch of bullshit, but you ask anybody before the 2016 election, and they probably would believe that Donald Trump is a billionaire. You know, Bukele has a lot of this same stuff kind of going for him at this point. He's basically kind of playing those same buttons, this whole, like, I'm here to save the country, less about, like, who he really is and more about this image. And he's, he's a rich kid who doesn't really seem to have any deeply held political beliefs besides, like, I want to run the country and make a bunch of money. I don't really see much else there. It almost seems, in a way, like this guy is consolidating things. By locking up all these lower-level gang members, it seems like he's kind of consolidating power in an almost sort of Putin-esque kind of way. Like he's letting some of the top guys hang out and not be, shall we say, caught up in these sweeps. But like all of the lower level folks are starting to get locked up. I read another article and I think I linked it in El Faro where they're basically, you know, the normies are saying that there is almost no crime anymore. That that's all just pretty much gone. You can play in the playgrounds again. You can, you know, walk in the park and you're not going to get shot. No. Yeah, that does seem to be, that does seem to be like actual, you know, real people on the street that are, that are just saying that. And I, I mean, I get it. And you get, they even covered it in the indictment talking about the, the history and because there's stuff in here about reduced prison sentences and well, it's almost like, I mean, you remember when Mogilevich, right? he went to prison in Russia and it from from everything i've gathered it was a, a legitimate just mistake like mm-hmm. he he wrong passport and the guy at customs didn't know who the fuck he was and once they had him they couldn't just let him go right right but it's it's that question of okay well he's in prison but where's the prison uh what part of the prison who are the guards how much, you know, access or ability to go in and out. Cause it even talks in the indictment about some of these guys were allowed to leave at the, the prisons and mm-hmm. claim that they had non-existent doctor's appointments, I believe. Yes. Health problems that they right. had to go get treatment for. And it was really just so they could either negotiate with the government or talk to their own people or do whatever the fuck they were going to do. So I wonder about these guys that have been sent to this mega prison, how many are going to stay? Mm-hmm. How many are really going to have a lengthy sentence? How many are really like, hey, do this photo photo op where you, <laughs> yeah. even even the photo op though, it's it's hundreds of guys. I, can they just pick hundreds of guys and and are these guys MS thirteen? I don't know. I don't know. Are they a rival gang? Are they somebody who like betrayed the boss? I mean, there there there's so many intricacies here where it can still benefit everyone and even if you're an ms13 lower level guy and they're like hey this is the game we have to play right now you go to prison for five years we're gonna take care of your family we're gonna make sure you're safe inside we're gonna have our people protect you you're gonna come out and and you're not gonna be this lower level guy you're gonna be something else and right and if you don't go along with this they'll find your body in the park so yeah choose wisely yeah so basically they seem like they are creating a photo opportunity here more than anything else. It seems like what Bukele is doing is addressing the EDNY indictment by putting these photos out of all of these guys being locked in prison rather than actually addressing the idea that maybe he's got a side deal going with the top guys in the gang. He is actually kind of rolling out the I'm hard on crime thing that he's done, according to Alfaro, on at least three occasions now. So, I mean, it works. His his people believe him at this point. But do you think this was basically a coordinated PR campaign as much as anything? Well, it, it started less than 24 hours after the... EDNY indictment was unsealed. 
accusing Bukele's government of negotiating, coordinating, making these deals with the gangs. And that first video, it's probably last time I looked, it was 18 million views. It's probably even more now because he's, he's, he's very popular on Twitter. He's got lots of followers. He's got lots of American English language followers who are right wing and, and uh, definitely primarily are, are pro Trump people. So it, it's, those people know how to manipulate the internet. They know how to make stuff go viral. They all Mm -hmm. are are very good at finding a coordinated message and putting it out there. And yeah, there is this uh, Republican consultant named Damien Merlot, who's a under FARA for El Salvador. And he is posting on Twitter about uh, the, the Newsweek op-ed by Gavin Wax and Nathan Berger. And we need an American bukele. And he's, he's praising all of this and, and even called the EDNY indictment, fake news and disinformation, uh, <laughs> even though, <laughs> based on, based on nothing. But as several people who replied to him on Twitter said, yeah, pages 18 through 20 don't look too good for your guy. And, and they don't, but yeah, if you look at the names of who, who got involved with this Bukele posts these pictures. And if you watch the videos, it is, I called it dictator porn and, and it absolutely is. You've got these gang members with tattoos up and down their bodies. And most of these guys are in shape. They're, they're big dudes. They're strong. Like they, if you saw them on the street, they would be intimidating, but you've got these guys that are, nearly naked they're pretty much in their underwear they've got their hands over their heads they're being led back and forth in the prison they're kind of sometimes head to head or or they've they've got their hands on the walls i mean they're they're made to look as helpless mm-hmm. as possible and it is dehumanizing and and i don't i don't want to apologize for them because clearly these are some some bad people that are that are pictured here, but it is a it is an authoritarian show of force of look what we can do and look how strong we are and look how powerful we are. And so MAGA looks at those images and thinks, oh yeah, we need we need some of that. We need we do need an American bukele because man, one of those people could be Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton. It's Q's Gitmo come to life. Like you said, tailor-made for the QAnon crowd that has been primed for the idea that at some point Gitmo is going to open up again and we're going to shove all of these political enemies into it. And when they see this vision of these MS-13 guys that, you know, Fox has also been showing lots of footage of them for years. Fox has latched onto the MS-13 thing a long time ago and has been kind of hyping them up. So these people are primed to think these people are the scariest gang members out there on the planet already. So when they see these photos of Bukele's crackdown, these guys being shoved in this big mega prison, they already know kind of the story behind this. They have a visual in their head of what these guys are. And as a result, they are totally into the idea that this, this guy would be, absolutely throwing the book at him yeah and it's it's not like it's wrong it does play directly into fox news's preferred narratives but you look at the edny indictment and these leaders of ms-13 are are charged with terrorism narco-terrorism uh their operations are in el salvador mexico they extend to the united states these are transnational criminals who are responsible mm-hmm. for a lot of drugs and a lot of deaths and, and a lot of problems. And, and we're not by any means attempting to downplay that. So yeah, of course Fox loves the story. And of course their audience is, Oh my God, how could this, this, this powerful leader of El Salvador take this gang ridden place and, and turn it on its head. And when's the last time anything in America worked that well? When's the last time anyone in America could take something that's so utterly broken and just almost overnight make it better? And and it so it, it does right. play into that. I, I see the the mega prison, like you said, it's it it really does feel like somebody wrote a script for QAnon and Gitmo 
and <laughs> they went in and built yeah. and built this prison. And I'm I'm again, I don't think that actually happened, but it really is a an actual manifestation of of QAnon with all of the deep state and the fake news media and the liberals and the Clinton crime family and everybody's going to get sent down to this one place. They're all going to get Mo just like all the other terrorists did. Well, and in reality, there's a lot of logistical problems. You have to look at that and you think at some point this isn't sustainable, even if you don't feed them, which he's talking about, even if you don't actually do anything in the way of cleaning anything you're, you're talking about, an absolute disease outbreak waiting to happen here. This is not going to stay where it is for very long because as we know, the guards are going to pick this up and they're going to go home. It's going to end up being this completely unrealistic idea for how you can run something like this. Well, and and something that I really haven't seen get any attention and, and I, I absolutely think it needs to be noted and, I'm a little concerned it's not being addressed. And I think, okay, so I think it isn't being addressed because a lot, a lot of people don't necessarily see Islamic extremists the same way they see gangs in Latin America. But in a lot of ways, ISIS operated kind of like a mafia. And mm-hmm. in the gangs in Latin America, it's it's very much that same mentality. And again, if you look at these EDNY charges, it's terrorism, it's narco terrorism. And ISIS was was doing the same thing with selling drugs and oil and all this activity on the black market. But I, I bring I bring up ISIS and Islamic extremism because I, I read about this in in uh, Hassan Hassan and Michael Weiss's great book. ISIS inside the army of terror. And it's something right, that, right. that got covered by the, the guardian with Martin Chulov and it's ISIS, the inside story. And it talks about the American camps that sprung up after the Iraqi invasion and American forces went around and they rounded up real and, supposed insurgents and they they put out a wide net and in a lot of cases they didn't really know who they had they didn't really know how much of a threat they they were but they put right all of these people in a single camp and let them sit for oftentimes years and what developed in those camps was isis and it was absolutely not intentional that is a thing that Kremlin propaganda created later, it is an, there were a lot of unintentional side effects of the invasion of Iraq. Let's, let's just put that out there, but this was one of them. And, and some of these people that they thought were insurgents were not even insurgents. They were not even necessarily radicals, but we didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) And unfortunately these people got together and they became more radicalized. You put violent people, you put radical extreme people together. You give them no, no hope or no idea. You hold them without trial. You don't tell them when they're going to come out. And you have a breeding ground for radicals at that point. You do. Even if you weren't any of these things, even if you weren't a jihadi before you went into these places, it's not real hard for somebody to convince you. Yet, hey, you've been locked up on absolutely no reason, no charge by the great Satan. What are you going to do about it? And he's he's threatening not to feed you is something that is completely out of your control happens in the outside world. So for any reason, he might just let you die in here. And what are you going to do if you get out? What do you think you should do? Yeah. And, and Bukele is, is not addressing that. The people who support this, they don't look for long-term solutions. They don't think about consequences. They They think that's someone else's problem to deal with. But if he really goes through with this and it's again, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on here, but there will be consequences and, and what it looks like in a year or five years may, may end up being a lot worse. Right. Right. Even though there have been several very public violent demonstrations by the gangs of what they're capable of the government kept negotiating and right now the gang leaders have what they want or at least have 
enough to keep the peace, but what are they going to want later? And what what are you as a citizen going to have to give up? And we're already seeing more because Bukele is planning on running for a second term, even though the Constitution bars him from doing so. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't particularly care about that right now, it seems. He just said he's going to do it. It wasn't even much of a thing. He just, I'm doing it. 70% plus approval rating, he'll probably quote unquote win. Yeah, he probably will. And and since we know from the indictment that the MS-13 in particular supported his candidates in 2021 for public office, they told their gang members, their the families, uh, family members, the residents in the neighborhoods that they controlled, they told everyone that they had some sort of sway over to vote for Bukele's party, the Nuevas Ideas. So they wanted him in. And afterwards, in 2021, what did he do? Well, he fired the attorney general who had said that he would extradite the MS-13 and other gang leaders. If the U.S. made an extradition request, they would follow through with it. Well, Bukele fired that guy and he fired some of his allies, and he now has a new attorney general who won't extradite those gang leaders. So he'll probably get a second term. Maybe he'll get more than that. Maybe he's going to be in charge for decades. But they're going to keep wanting more. They're going to keep taking more. What really concerns me, there's so much here that concerns me, but one thing that concerns me is the fact that there are Trump lobbyists, Republican fixers, people who are are close to that orbit who are part of that that group who are getting a lot of money from Bukele's government and i you have to kind of ask the question of where's all this money coming from and i'm not accusing these people of taking money from MS13 directly but there's a lot of deals going on and you you kind of mm-hmm. have to ask the question don't you you do and it seems like this country hasn't exactly shown the greatest financial sense under Bukele. They, in 2021, bought themselves quite a bit of Bitcoin. They were going to go in on Bitcoin really hard. They bought $105 million worth of Bitcoin. And it seems that the price of Bitcoin when they bought it was about $46,000 US per coin. What's that at now? Closed at 20 today. Mm. So they're down 60 plus million in Bitcoin right now. And that's a lot of money for a country like El Salvador. That's not necessarily something that you want to go back and have to try and explain to the voters. Oh, look, naked guys in the prison. At least we're hard on crime. Yeah. Never mind what we did with your money. Yeah, it's a great way to change the conversation, which is which is why you saw MAGA pushing this really hard and you saw lots of El Salvadoran accounts pushing this hard, including advisors to Bukele, including members of the government, members of Congress. They were they were all into this. And yeah, the the thing with the Bitcoin investments is, like you said, (laughs) Bitcoin is for they they bought it forty six thousand. It's down to twenty thousand. But it's not even just that. He was really, Bukele was really hyping this. He was, mm-hmm. it's part of his whole, I, he half jokingly calls himself the world's coolest dictator. And of course, the world's coolest dictator was involved in Bitcoin because what else would he do? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the money. And I agree, the money, it is a lot of money down there. But this was supposed to come with jobs, with investment, with innovation. Crypto for a while was supposed to be the next big thing. And there are still some people who think that, but I don't know. Did another, uh, well, there was a bank this week, a, a crypto bank that just closed. How many exchanges have closed? We talked about FTX on this podcast. Binance is in trouble. There, crypto, it's it's not the same market as it was a couple years ago. Not even Not even close. Right, right. And there were a lot of people that lost a lot of money in this space including the population of El Salvador. They definitely took a huge haircut, and I don't think anybody really thinks crypto is going back anywhere near 46000 at this point. It's starting to look pretty permanent that it's nowhere near that, and it could go lower. 
if I had to bet one way or the other, I'd bet on lower. Yeah, and and it it certainly could. I agree. I don't expect it to go back up to that. There are a lot of issues with crypto. One is well, nothing backs it. It continues to be a facilitator for criminals. Mm-hmm. And Russian, Chinese, Iranian hackers love to get paid in this. And you have all these malware campaigns where they're putting ransomware out and holding these companies hostage and hoping that they'll pay. But even all that stuff, one, people are getting smarter about what crypto is. And it's getting really hard to find a place to mine Bitcoin. There really aren't many places left. Oddly, weirdly, one of the few is Texas, which is an option, but they also keep crashing their power grid because right for for a lot of reasons, but this ain't helping. No, it isn't. Uh, Texas is on its own power grid, independent from the rest of the country. And all of a sudden, you have just hooked up the biggest power drain of the modern era to it. I mean, great. Winter comes and all of a sudden people freeze for weeks because, well, got to keep making that Bitcoin. And it's it's supposed to be this hip, cool thing, but you've got Ted Cruz <laughs> out there talking about, we're going to be the Bitcoin capital of the world. And have you, have you looked at Ted Cruz? <laughs> you... Ted Cruz is nobody's <laughs> idea of a hipster. Sorry. Just... Uh, not that I'm any judge of these things, but neither is he. I don't claim so. to be cool, but I know what isn't cool. I don't know what is cool, but I, I certainly know what isn't. And, right. And Ted, Ted Cruz, Cruz is not cool. Is not cool. <laughs> yes. No, Ted Cruz is definitely not the guy that you want to emulate if you're trying for cool. No. That's just no. 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 So, yeah, I think the Bitcoin thing just didn't pan out. Ask Tom Brady how his investment in FTX is doing. It's just they needed a way to change the conversation in El Salvador. And these images of these prisoners were how they did it. And and the indictment that was unsealed, it was written late last year. And, and I have to, again, shout out to El Faro, the publication in El Salvador, which has been covering... Bukele, right. this topic for years, they've been covering these reported negotiations between the government and the and the gang leaders for years. They've done a phenomenal job. They most of their reporting is in Spanish, but they do have some English uh, language. Oh, they reporting. have an English site. They have an English site. They have an English Twitter feed as well. Highly recommend going and following that if you want to stay up on this. Yeah, and they, and they're they're great. They've covered all of this. I feel like we we kind of found the the American angle that they hadn't seen because we're the people who cover Infowars and and Roger Stone and Jack Posobiec, Charlie Kirk, Jackson Hinkle, Jackson Hinkle, big Bukele fan. All these, yeah, Bukele retweeted Jackson Hinkle and he he talked about it on his on Jackson Hinkle's on his Telegram channel. He was rah rah. I got retweeted by Najib Bukele. Never met a fascist dictator he doesn't like. It's, it's true. It's true. So, yeah, we we have a unique perspective and a unique angle that we follow. It's one of those things that MAGA, they throw themselves behind a narrative. And then once it gets going, the full weight of it is is just, it's a lot. And it can get a lot of traction and, and attention. And lo and behold, you know, about a week into this little media blitz, who ends up on Tucker Carlson's show? Well, uh, there's there's President of El Salvador, Najib Bukele, to talk about his crackdown on crime. Some people don't know this, but El Salvador was actually the murder capital of the world. I mean, we're, yes. we were a lot more dangerous than Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, you name it. El Salvador was the worst uh, and the most dangerous place to live. It was the murder capital of the world. And now we're... we're on their way to be the safest country in the whole American continent. It's an amazing story. And I hope mayors of our cities, Baltimore, Gary, Indiana, New York City, will call you for advice on how to replicate your successes. And it, yeah, it, <laughs> of course. it was, it was well orchestrated and 
and we can't prove all of the money and payments that went went into this. But when they're this blatant about it, yeah, when they're on message like this and this consistently, I mean, the mm-hmm. the the way they're praising him is really the way they praise Trump. But it is mutually beneficial. It it was one of those things where. This is the idea they're hoping for, uh, for Trump's 2024 run. They're hoping that this is what he strives for. This is what they want their base to be asking for. They, they want to follow the path of the world's coolest dictator. We're not exaggerating here. They're, they're very intentional and obvious and overt about it. And I think the mainstream media is somewhat aware and occasionally covers it, but the reason these people are able to move the Overton window to get their audience on board is because it's just constant. Today's top stories, El Salvador's crackdown on crime. A new mega prison has been built and the libs are losing it. Next. So Nayib Bukele is a great man because he's been able to eradicate the street terrorism, the gangs, the crime, the violence, the terrorism. How's that gang violence uh, plummeting in one Central American country while gangs are running free all over America's heartland? Forget for a moment Ron DeSantis, who's done a great job on crime and law and order down in Florida. Let's turn it up a notch a little bit. Let's take a look down at El Salvador. The single most popular democratically elected president of any country in the world by far a man who enjoys support from his population, measured outside sources in the high 80s to the 90%. That's how much support he has. Contrast that with our own president, whose support hovers in the mid-30s. But Nayib Bukele, the, pres- Bukele, the president of El Salvador, is overwhelmingly popular. How did El Salvador do that? It wanted to do that. It it wanted to fix the murder problem. It mustered the political will to do it. And then the president, effecting this policy, sent in troops to go round up MS-13 like the animals that they are. It's repetition, repetition, repetition all the time. And unless you follow it, unless you look at it every day, and we've done this every day for seven years. I I don't, (laughs) don't ask me why. (laughs) Don't ask me to explain why, but we do. And we have, right. They will drive the country further, right, further authoritarian and further into this idea that fascism is good and necessary. And this is part of it. And this is something that they've been pushing in various ways, in various places, Essentially, since, you know, Trump took over, they've used, I mean, you look at 2020, they used the images of protests in Seattle and Portland to justify the idea that we needed a crackdown on this stuff. They used the images in Brazil that just came out recently of Bolsonaro not wanting to leave power and his supporters wrecking things in a January 6th-esque fashion. They had their January 8th down there for the same purpose. Let's show all of our people that this is like normalized behavior now. Let's go ahead and prime the people to think that when it's time, this is what has to happen. And they're doing it again with the idea of, you know, cherry picking the January 6th footage from the Capitol, selectively editing and essentially trying to convince everybody that, no, these were just patriots who were out there trying to really speak to our legislatures. This wasn't the mob that it's been portrayed as. The thousand people that have been arrested as a result of that protest are all political prisoners and we should let them go. There's this big narrative that they're building and it's not going anywhere good. No. And and like we said, following this every day, it's easy if you're not watching what they're saying and what they're doing. If you're watching MSNBC, you're in a different information ecosystem. And, and I... We're not going to sit here and encourage people to do what we do because I think that runs the risk of radicalizing yourself or or the people Mm -hmm. around you because they want you to, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to watch to disagree or to counteract it or because I hate it or don't 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 go do that. But what I am saying is, is we do this. We 
do not believe them or think like them, but we understand how constant this is. Mm -hmm. You and I, people on the left, by and large, have seen the images of the Capitol. You know it's not Antifa. You know it's not the federal government that did this. You know it's Trump supporters. They weren't let in the building. Wasn't Ray Epps, guys. Sorry. All uh, it wasn't Ray Epps. It was. It wasn't a tourist visit. All these things. But the right wing, particularly MAGA audience, is being sold this every day, and their audience is believing it more and more every day. And it's going to resonate with them. And all the images that that dispute it and that would immediately should be able to just knock this down and be like, this is an absurd lie you're telling, they aren't seen by that side. Just like a lot of people on the left aren't seeing how, how heavy the right is going into this. Yes, Tucker Carlson is the most obvious propagandist, and he is probably the biggest name in this and shares quite a bit of responsibility for acting, claiming that, that January 6th was, was the feds and it was all a setup, but there's so many other people. There's so many other accounts. There's so many other little tentacles of this story that they're putting out there because they, they need their audience to see this grand, greater visual and narrative and it's coming together mm -hmm. and it's going to work on that audience. Look, El Salvador, the people who live there, they love Bukele because he is cracking down on the gangs and it is it is selling to more people because there was real violence, because because there were real problems. They always prefer to deal in as much truth as possible. They they aren't <laughs> if there's not truth, they'll they'll find they'll find a way to sell a narrative. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes it's, there's no truth, but they at least try to find a sliver of truth. So for, right. for El Salvador and Bukele, it's the gangs for the U S for Trump, for the right wing, it's Antifa. It's the deep state. It's the, the feds set people up. It's, it's the democratic party. It's the media. It, it serves the same purpose. And so they're, they're going to claim more and more, that the left is censoring and harming and and jailing the January 6 prisoners because the worse they can make the world seem to their audience again the more their audience is going to think this this person this leader this american bukele who can suspend the constitution and fix all of these problems overnight it becomes a necessity it's it's something that they will keep yearning for and that's what this is working towards again if you look at some of this stuff you can definitely see where the blueprint is and it's not so much that any one specific thing is what you want to look at but they're all sort of bouncing ideas off of each other there's this whole wave of people who sort of buy these same ideas and they're all learning from each other. And when one, one country, the illiberal strongman tries something and it works, the rest of them seem to take notes. And it has been going on for a while now. And it's, it's pretty frightening. Yeah. It's, let's see what we can get away with. In mm -hmm. El Salvador, they, it's also in the indictment. Also in 2021, they had one of the gang leaders in custody and there was an Interpol red notice out for his arrest and extradition and they let him go because Lovely. that's the deal that they made and, and that's what they decided they could get away with and that's what the gangs wanted and so that's the deal that they made and... It was an easier sell in El Salvador because things really were bad and we don't want to pretend like they weren't. And I, I have great sympathy for the people who live there. Mm -hmm. But in the United States, at least, what these these people who were boosting Bukele's crackdown and, and cheerleading for what he's doing, which again, it's not... 
by any means the whole story, but what they're the idea of the the big strong man who puts away all the evil criminals who are making all these problems. It's a narrative they're trying to sell in the United States. And and here it is not so much, according to MAGA, it is not so much the gangs. It's it's the Democrats. It's the media. It's the schools. It's, it's everyone we don't like is the cause of all your suffering and everything that's wrong. And if only an American bukele would come along and just round them all up and send them to Gitmo, then your life would be so much better. And by God, they want to create a scenario and a situation where the enough of the public says, yeah, I'm on board with that. It's a little terrifying, but I think that the more these people go on with it, the more likely it is that you've got this just hardcore of people that can be persuaded to go along with this. And I think we're almost at a point with the majority of MAGA where they would be fine with the idea of an American Bukele. They would be absolutely just thrilled with that possibility. And maybe it's not Trump. Maybe it's someone else down the line, but they have been primed for a strong man to come along and, and be that guy. Yeah, they have. And it says a lot that the, who's polling second. Well, it's DeSantis with his, different form of illiberal authoritarianism. It's, it's a different flavor, but it's the same thing. And it's where they're headed. We've had some people asking us like, okay, what's our, what's our call to action? What are we advocating here? How can people make a difference? How can people take this information, this knowledge and do something with it? And I think the thing for me is don't let them gaslight you. They're going to try so hard to push this narrative of why we need the American Bukele and the whole time they're going to call you a stupid lib who's overreacting and doesn't understand and you just don't get it and it's just a meme or it's just a joke or you're part of the problem and they're going to they're going to mock you and they're going to laugh and we've we've seen it we've dealt with it personally they want you to think it's not real and i think there's enough people in the media who are happy to just go along with that and downplay it and say, ah, oh, these are just some trolls doing what trolls do, but it is real. And like you said, I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know how it's going to play out. And, and maybe one day they lose enough elections. They are made irrelevant without the worst possible situations or scenarios coming true, but we don't know. We know there are people on that side who may look and sound ridiculous, and they do, but that's part of the shtick. They are doing this. They are trying this. They are trying and, and hoping that we move in this direction. So don't don't let them get away with it. Don't let them tell you it's a joke. No. Because it's real, and you're not crazy for thinking it's real. You are not mentally ill. You are not, ha-ha, no sense of humor. You don't understand trolling. You don't understand our our outlook on things. You don't get jokes. No, that's how they sell it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the did nothing wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to did nothing wrong You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four and the letter M all one word and Grizza BJJ G R Z A BJJ, as well as DNW pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.